Hello and welcome to the Bitcoin Dad Pod, episode 8, recorded on Thursday, April 7th, 2022. Now, this is a midweek episode. Chris is not here, and he won't be here for our weekly wrap-up episode either. But I'm doing this episode because I got a boost several weeks ago from a listener who asked about decentralized exchanges. Unfortunately, I lost the listener's name because the boost history sort of moved on. And so I have the content of the boost, but not the listener's name. Hi, Dad and Chris. Loving the podcast so far. Thank you. Glad to see a replacement for Plan B so many years ago. Oh, so we have an original listener of Chris's first Bitcoin podcast, Plan B. Dad mentioned getting BTC from a dark alley on the internet in episode two. While an option, it's probably an easy way to get scammed. Maybe an episode slash segment on decentralized exchanges would be nice. I personally played around with BISC, but I'm sure there are others out there. Cheers. I think referring to buying Bitcoin anonymously online as using a dark alley on the internet was being a little colorful in my language. What I was getting at is in the past 50 years, a lot of financial activity has been sort of normalized to use KYC permissioned systems such as Visa, MasterCard, or sending bank transfers, or PayPal. Because Bitcoin is a protocol that directly transmits value between participants, you don't actually need a permissioned platform to use it. And so it can feel a little wild. You're able to send money to people in situations that were previously not possible using permission systems. Now, I mentioned probably in episode two, the HODL HODL exchange. HODL HODL is a type of exchange that requires no KYC at the moment, but it's not exactly a decentralized exchange. So HODL HODL is a a website maintained by, I think, a company called HODL HODL, and I believe they're based in Eastern Europe. They do not maintain an exchange order book, so they don't take custody of any Bitcoins. You don't deposit Bitcoin on HODL HODL or withdraw Bitcoin from HODL HODL. So they're not a money transmission business, and they're not a money exchanging business. What they do is they provide an interface for a buyer and a seller to enter into a multi-sig contract. Basically, the seller puts Bitcoin into a two of three multi-sig. And just to remind everyone, a two of three multi-sig is a Bitcoin wallet that is created out of three private keys. And to send Bitcoin in, anyone can send Bitcoin in if you have the public key. But to remove Bitcoin, you need two of the three private keys to sign the removal, the withdrawal transaction. So in HODL HODL, the buyer has one key, the seller has one key, and HODL HODL controls one key too. So if you think of this arrangement from a legal perspective, it's hard to say who's custodying these funds. We all can kind of custody them a little, but we need to cooperate to withdraw them. So HODL HODL is a company and they provide a service that basically gives you some encrypted messaging and it sets up this multi-sig very cleanly. And we can use this multi-sig to basically escrow Bitcoin while the buyer sends fiat money or another cryptocurrency on some, you know, on some other platform. And then when the buyer confirms they've sent it, they click, I've sent the money, which on the back end is signing the withdrawal transaction. If the seller receives it, they click, I've received it. 
which is the second signature on the withdrawal transaction, and then the multi-sig withdraws to the buyer's Bitcoin address, which they provided before entering into this contract. So what if there's a problem? What if one of the participants is acting in bad faith? Well, that's why the HODL HODL platform has a third key. You can click on a button on the platform page and summon a moderator. And they'll look at the chat log, and then you can present documents. If you've sent money, you can present the bank transfer statements. Or, and they'll kind of make a decision as to what should be done. And they'll either help the buyer receive the Bitcoin or the seller refund their Bitcoin, depending on what's happened. Or they'll, they'll help cancel the, uh, the contract if there was some other problem where no one was really at fault. But what's the limitation here? The limitation is that, one, obviously this is a little bit different than an exchange that custodies Bitcoin and maintains an order book. There's more friction. There's less liquidity. So it's slightly less convenient. But I would say that the real issue is that HODL HODL, the company, may eventually get regulated because the company itself, it's a legal entity somewhere. It employs people. It has an office. It has servers. It has financial transactions, probably a bank account in its own name. So these are all chokeholds for future regulatory pressure. In fact, other companies that provided a similar service, such as a platform called Local Bitcoins, they actually implemented KYC. I don't, off the top of my head, know where Local Bitcoins was domiciled, but let's say 2016, I know that Local Bitcoins was pretty easy to use with minimal verification. And then by 2019, in my opinion, it had become unusable because, look, if I'm trading peer-to-peer with people, why do I need to submit all my information to a centralized exchange? This isn't necessarily financial speculation, like buying stocks or bonds. I might just be exchanging currency because I need to make payments or, or whatnot. Unfortunately, because of the way that the United States regulates Bitcoin as property, using it as a currency is sort of penalized from a tax perspective because they want to charge some sort of property tax whenever you transact in Bitcoin. And I think that's kind of silly. Of course, that's the current policy, but it essentially provides an excuse or a requirement for companies that facilitate Bitcoin transactions to collect customer information under the guise of preventing tax evasion. Frankly, I don't think that this data collection is innocuous. I think that it's been demonstrated many times that private businesses aren't really equipped to store customer data securely, especially when it's high value, when it has direct financial implications. So I think collecting data on customers naturally reduces the safety of said customers. I'm therefore sort of ideologically opposed to data collection in general. Basically, I think HODL HODL works pretty well today. Unfortunately, it probably won't in the future. And maybe in the future, another competitor will rise up and provide a less KYC or no KYC service when HODL HODL eventually has to bend the knee and is forced by their local government to add KYC to their platform. Now, there is another decentralized exchange that the listener mentioned called BISC. And BISC is in every sense a decentralized exchange. There's no company behind BISC. There is in fact a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. I wanted to have more experience with BISC before making this episode, 
But it turns out that BISC is a massive, massive subject. And I've years ago tried to use it and found it daunting and gave up, to be frank. And I'm now in the process of playing around with it. And hopefully I'll, I'll succeed in making a, an exchange at some point. But it takes time. And I think it's a large subject. So I think it's okay to talk about it multiple times. So I'll start with a high level view. BISC is a piece of software that you download. And you go to the BISC website, which is bisc.network, and download the BISC client, which I believe is a Java application. It runs on Linux, Mac, or, or Windows. And this client is kind of like a Bitcoin node. It has a Tor component, so it reaches out via the Tor network. So this is a privacy protocol on the internet that enables you to connect to other computers and, and mask your IP address, theoretically. When you turn on the BIS client, it connects to other BIS clients, and they all share an order book, people offering to sell Bitcoin and offering to buy Bitcoin. And there are different methods to buy and sell Bitcoin. And before you can make a trade, you need to register the methods by which you will buy or sell. It sounds very complicated, and frankly it is. BISC is attempting to take what a centralized platform for making exchanges is and decentralize it into software that can be run by anybody. This is really cool because when a company facilitates Bitcoin exchange, they're arguably performing a financial or banking activity and therefore subject to regulation. But if software is doing it, how exactly do you regulate that? Can you ban software? Can you say this software is illegal? At least in the United States, that's a little tricky from a First Amendment perspective because it's really not clear how the individuals who write the software are directly relating to the exchanges that are happening on the software. I think there's an argument there that a decentralized exchange is possibly a protected sort of activity. Though, maybe you could also run into law that says, okay, these exchanges, this exchange software now needs to collect data. But the thing is, no one can make you run the KYC version of BISC. If the non-KYC version, I mean, there is no KYC version of BISC, but if there was a government pressure to create one, the non-KYC version would still exist and you could still run it. You might be technically breaking the law, but it's pretty difficult to control what millions of people do, what software they're running on their computers. It's not really feasible to control society to that extent, in my opinion. BISC does a lot of what HODL HODL does, but because there's no centralized platform, it has to take some extra steps. And the first thing about BISC is that to buy or sell Bitcoin, you actually need to lock up Bitcoin in a escrow. You kind of need to over collateralize the Bitcoin in the transaction. I think the standard amount is 33%. So if I want to buy one Bitcoin, the seller will need to send 1.33 Bitcoin into the contract, and I will have to send 0.3 Bitcoin into the contract. And this basically means that we both have something to lose if the trade doesn't go well. Obviously, there's a caveat here. This means that you need Bitcoin to get started. So how do you do that if you don't have any Bitcoin? Well, seeing as BISC is kind of an advanced tool, I think generally you probably already would have a little bit of Bitcoin at this point. 
so you could probably bootstrap yourself. But there is a BISC matrix channel, and you can talk with people in the matrix channel and set something up, or you can actually become a BISC contributor. I mentioned that BISC is a DAO, and this relates to the overcollateralization because, like HODL HODL, if buyer and seller have a problem in a BISC trade, they can click on a button in the software that summons a mediator. Now, a mediator is a BISC volunteer. I believe they actually have to bond themselves. To be a mediator, you need to put some Bitcoin in a, in a bond, like in a contract that BISDAO can seize if they misbehave. They get complaints as a mediator. I'm not 100% clear on how this works, but it's interesting. The high-level view is that BISC essentially asks everyone involved to collateralize themselves, to put money on the line. And the idea is that if you want to be involved with BISC, if you want to use it, buy, sell, contribute to it, mediate, everyone needs to have a financial stake. Let's talk about just the mechanics of the trade, and then I'll talk about how this financial stake works, as I understand it now. So you're in a BISC trade. The buyers sent in 0.3 Bitcoin. The sellers sent 1.3 Bitcoin into this trade escrow multisig. Now, if you successfully complete the trade, I'm buying. So let's say the seller wants me to send a postal money order somewhere. Now, one thing to remember is this BIS client needs to be online. So I need to have this going on a computer that's, that I'm not going to turn off and won't go to sleep. So you have to tweak your settings to make sure that this program stays online. Now, I'm going to go to the post office. The seller's giving me their details. I'm going to fill out the money order, send it, and there'll be some time frame where the seller needs to receive it. Let's say they receive it. Everything's fine. We both agree to conclude the trade. And then I get my Bitcoin. They've got the money. Everything's cool. Now, what if something goes wrong? Well, first, we request a mediator. And a mediator is not anybody who can choose a outcome. The BISC contract is not a two of three multisig. It's a two of two multisig. So buyer and seller need to agree to release the funds. Well, what happens if one of these people is a bad actor? I believe how this works is BISC actually pre-signs a transaction for both of us when creating this, this uh, multisig. And so we both have a pre-signed transaction that can donate the Bitcoin to the BISC DAO. What? This sounds weird. How does this work? Well, basically, if we're dealing with a scammer or someone, you know, so maybe like, let's say I'm, I want to buy this Bitcoin. I send this seller a postal money order. They receive the money. And then they say, hey, just kidding. I need you to send the money again because I want, I want to get paid double. They don't have their Bitcoin, but I've already paid for it. So they're, you know, they're even. They, let's say, buying $100 worth of Bitcoin. I pay them $100. I can't get the Bitcoin, the $100 of Bitcoin, but they can't get it either. But they have 100 bucks. So what do I do? Maybe I'll send it again. Well, no. We summon a mediator and we can talk with the mediator. And the mediator can kind of document what's going on. And the mediator is a BISC volunteer who has put up a BISC bond. So they're basically financially exposed if they are, you know, not helpful and are working with one of the participants. If they try to collude, I have the ability to raise a complaint and potentially get their bond seized. But if they do a good job, 
my understanding is that they can apply to the BISC DAO and, you know, receive some fees for their work. Now, if the mediation doesn't resolve the dispute, then a arbitrator gets involved. And I think the mediator can summon an arbitrator. Now, the arbitrator, they also cannot access the Bitcoin in this contract, but they can talk with us and kind of establish the truth of the situation. And then they can reimburse one party or both parties, depending on what's happened. And so we can donate the Bitcoin in our contract to the BISDAO, but the arbitrator might reimburse us, depending on the situation. Obviously, things can go wrong here. There might be a, an evil mediator, an evil arbitrator. Maybe they're working with buyers or sellers to, to do scams. I've never heard of anything like this happening, but it's possible. So I don't think BISC is a perfect solution to decentralizing Bitcoin exchanges. It's very complicated. It's pretty hard to use. I'm somewhat experienced and I find it a little overwhelming, but I'm working through it and I think I'll find it useful in the future. But BISC is, in my opinion, very Bitcoin, very Bitcoin culture. It's ugly, but it is very decentralized. It's very anti-fragile. It's very hard to shut down. It's built to be attacked. And there just aren't a lot of projects like that. The BISC DAO is this decentralized autonomous organization made up of BISC contributors, BISC volunteers, but they actually have a colored coin. So they incentivize voting and bonding BISC volunteers using a token that's actually created out of Bitcoin. It's essentially uh, the term colored coin comes from the concept of, I don't know if you've ever gone to a music festival and you want to buy a beer or something. And instead of handing cash at the bar, you go to a little booth and you you give them some money, maybe 10 bucks, and then they give you uh, coins. And instead of having their own special coin for the event, they've actually just taken like quarters and put like a sticker on the quarter, like maybe a sticker with a you know picture of uh, the band who's playing. And so this is a quarter, right? I could take it outside of the concert or the music festival and put it in a vending machine or in a laundry machine. But inside the festival, because it has this sticker, I can also exchange this quarter for a beer. So maybe it's actually worth $4 inside the festival at the festival bar. So bit in a similar way, BISC takes Bitcoin and puts a little code layer on top of it, a color coin. And so it creates this token, this BSQ token. And this token is used to bond the BISC mediators and arbitrators. It's uh, used to uh, reward BISC contributors who develop new code for BISC. It, it, it's an attempt to make BISC a sustainable project. Uh, there's there's no pre-mine. It's based on Bitcoins. So you can't like arbitrarily create them and destroy them because they're actually made out of Bitcoin. You could get this BSQ token and just treat it as Bitcoin. So there's not really an opportunity to speculate. I think it's a very responsible way to build another token on top of Bitcoin. And essentially, BISC also manufactures some demand for the BSQ token because BISC charges a trading fee, part of the way to sustain the development of the software and the maintenance of volunteers to help arbitrate disputes. And if you use the BSQ token, you can get a discount on the trading fee. So if you use BISC a lot, you're probably going to want to get some of this BSQ token. And you can buy this BSQ token via the BISC platform, the, the software. And when you use the BISC token to pay for trading fees, you create demand for it. And I think you also sort of destroy it. I mean, it just becomes Bitcoin, you know, once you use it somehow. So it's interesting. It's a slightly complex system, but it achieves something that's pretty comprehensible. It creates a way to exchange Bitcoin, buy and sell Bitcoin without needing a central third party to collect your personal information. It gives us a way to interact with Bitcoin and fiat currencies in a decentralized manner. 
I think it could be used in a very privacy-preserving way. So I really like it. I think it's really, really interesting. And I'm, I'm enjoying figuring out how to use it. I will be honest, it's, it's a little daunting. There's a lot of tabs. There's a lot of complexity to it. And if I can just pontificate for a moment, I think that the complexity of BISC speaks to how hard it is to build decentralized systems. And the way that decentralization is being thrown around as a marketing term for a lot of projects in the quote-unquote crypto space is incredibly misleading. I truly doubt that most DAOs that are talked about in the Ethereum and other altcoin communities are as well thought out and architected as BISC, because I'll be frank, I don't think I'm a dummy, but I've been studying this thing for days and I couldn't tell you I fully understand it. So DAOs that are attempting to do much more complex things, things more complex than decentralized exchange, it's very hard for me to imagine adding more complexity to a system like this and not running into weird edge cases that just, you know, basically break a lot of the assumptions. So there you have it. I'm going to report back when I've completed a trade and maybe I'll have more to share, more impressions. But in the meantime, I appreciate the listener who suggested I look into this because it's been a fantastic opportunity to learn. And in the meantime, if you have a chance to check out BISC, you can go to BISQ.network and download the software and take a look. Or you can look at their wiki on BISQ.WIKI. And this has been The Bitcoin Dad, recorded on Thursday, April 7, 2022. I always include the date because if you're listening to this in the far future, maybe everything's changed. Maybe BISC is a scam in the future. Who knows? So it's important to know when things were set because the situation can always change. And feel free to get in touch at Bitcoin Dad Pod on Twitter or Bitcoin Dad Pod at ProtonMail.com. Or feel free to send in a boost via a podcasting 2.0 app like Fountain.fm or Breeze Wallet, which are applications that allow you to listen to podcasts and send Satoshis to the creators along with messages. 